podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Good. Getting excited about summer coming up. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. The last couple of days, we have pounds and pounds of rain in Houston, so everything kind of shut down. Yeah, same here in San city. Antonio. Yeah. Oh, you had the but, same problem? Okay, wow. Yeah. But I think what's even more exciting about summer coming up and all that is, you know, th- this is that moment where Q1 results within a company finally comes out, right? And either you're panicking or you're not. And all of a sudden you get brought into these big meetings. And the funniest thing about these meetings is, you know, they're talking about things that we got to do. And it's the cliche terms. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like they're speaking a completely different language. So, you know, today, today's topic is analytics and big data cliche terms. And I think this is going to be a fun one. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love cliche terms and we all use it and we just make fun of it. Uh, So, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's even like cliche bingo that you can do where, you know, I've been on calls or I think you and I have been in meetings before where we're waiting for our VPs to really use all these cliche terms and you, you know, you, you, take a little count of how many times they say the same phrase over and over. Like remember when cloud came out, cloud was the big thing. So everything was cloud, this cloud, that. Yeah, no, I, I remember it. And I think it's become a standard part of the industry. Um, uh, it, you know, once you decide to use a specific, uh, cliche term, mm-hmm. uh, then you just get stick to it and people start <laughs> kind of annoying you with that term because they know, uh, that you're going to be using that term pretty frequently. Here's an example. Um, so I was looking online and I saw this article that says the top overused buzz buzzwords um, on LinkedIn profiles. I know this doesn't have to do with analytics and uh-huh. data, but it, uh-huh. it's, it's, this is on LinkedIn now. And so they were looking, this is back in, this was a 2010, a little bit old, but it said, so in the United States, Canada and Australia, the most overused buzzword were people saying they had extensive experience. You know, it, it, it's such a broad term. It's like, I have extensive experience. Great. Right. Brazil, India, and Spain, their big terms was they kept on saying that they were dynamic. So yeah, it's like, I'm dynamic, right? Um, in the UK, th- this is an interesting one. It's not extensive experience. It's not dynamic, but the UK the word there is motivated. motivated. Mm. So that makes me think, are you unmotivated? <laughs> you know, and you have to tell people yeah. that you are motivated. That's a bit weird. And then the other one is France, Germany, and the Netherlands. The most overused buzzword on profiles is the word innovative. Mm. So does that mean most people are not innovative? And, and also like innovative in what ways? Yeah, like you know, that's pretty yeah. cliche <laughs> what you say because there could be a lot of things you could be innovative in. Uh, so yeah. that's fun. That's fun. So why don't we get started? And what do we got? Okay. Okay. So here's the first one. Um, th- this is a funny one. So going uh, round one. I, I like this analytics one. and big yeah, data cliche one. term. What's the first one? Tell me. Data is the new oil. Nice. <laughs> I have oh heard that gosh. term so many times. You know, data is the new oil. What does that necessarily mean? So, so just to give context, uh. You know, people, everybody knows how oil is important in the modern revolution, right? Everything today, the industries and the automobiles, the jets and 
everything, pretty much the economy runs on oil. So we live in the economy, oil economy, essentially. Uh, so with mm-hmm. data being populated everywhere with digital technology, as we talked about in our lifestyle analytics podcast number 10, uh, that how technology is taking everything by storm and because of technology, what's underlying factor that's changing the world is the data production. So it is, mm-hmm. that's the reason why, because data is being produced so fast that in, and it can be used in many different ways. It can provide a lot of different insights. I think that's what the, origin of this term data is a new oil what, what are your thoughts I, I i see that i see it as a currency exactly as you're saying to where data needs to be the currency to be able to drive the success of the business and, and you and i are, are what we'd call analytics and data junkies to where you know we feel like if you don't have the right data you can't make the right decisions but um i, I also see it as the oil within an engine to where you can't effectively run business without data because all you are doing is just doing a whole bunch of quote best practices that from some random industry from how long ago and you're just guessing or guesstimating. And that's never one thing. I, I, imagine you're, you're an analytics professional. You're trying to, you know, look at historical data to forecast out your, your upcoming year and, and new product launch. And you're just going to say, well, you know, we don't really have the data, so we're just going to kind of guess what happened based on how you felt. And, and also the revolution standpoint, right, how everything is going to change. Previously, it was all about produce more oil, produce more oil, you know, fill the economy yep. uh, and drive the economic engine. Now it's we have limited resources where the population of the world is growing. How do we make more of those uh, limited resources we're going to have, like either we're going to go and find a new planet or we're going to find ways to capitalize on what we already got. So I was doing some research and I was seeing like who was the first person that actually coined that term. Uh, So Mm. there was a guy called, uh, you know, Michael Palmer, as per Forbes site. So he coined the term data is just like crude back in 2006. So definitely want to give him credit there. but that's funny, like, you know, since then it's been repeatedly used across big, small medias within the organization and outside of it. I can't wait to see when they move more into like wind energy and solar energy, what the phrase is going to turn <laughs> into, but we'll see. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> you know? and, and, and I think what the, the last point on this, I think it, it goes into this idea is data is a new oil. You know, and the idea of the oil economy, you, it's good to have mm-hmm. more oil, right? But in a lot of companies, it's not good to have too much data because, as you see, most people only use less than 1% of the data that they have or effectively use. So I think that goes into our, great into our second term that we want to talk about today is analysis paralysis. I can, I can relate <laughs> a, that to very well. That's, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, and analysis paralysis is a, an interesting one because that kind of – like you said, it teaches in the first one. The more data you have, the better chances are of you is performing more and more analysis. But I think the question is, how much more can you do? Uh, there, there has to be a yeah. point where you have to just stop and think about it and look at uh, your previous analysis and assumptions and uh, variables that you have as a part of that whole uh, analytics package, and you know draw conclusions on it, which we call as key takeaways, right? Uh, have insights mm-hmm. in key takeaways, and if there's something missing, articulate out what's missing, but don't just spend a lot of time 
pulling, pulling data, data and you know driving conclusion yeah. and adding segments and segments after segments uh and not necessarily focusing on the output you know like the garbage in garbage out I, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of very similar I, I used to work i used to work with an analyst and i was like well hey um you know go ahead and run an omniture report for me and let's see why conversions down and traffic is spiking and where the pain points are and all this stuff she comes back 3 hours later with a 30 30 slide mm-hmm. PowerPoint of charts. I'm like, this is too yeah. much data, man. I mean, top three. Tell me your top three. Right. That's all I need to know. You know, three yeah, things. Yeah, and I myself, it. I'm being very analytical. Sometimes we got in the tendency of like doing a lot of analysis, but then we forget about what we are actually trying to do uh, as, as a result of the analysis. So that's, that's a very interesting one. Yeah. So this gets us to our third term. Um, I, this is a newer one. I haven't heard this one as much, but dark data. So dark data essentially is it's a term that is being popularized because remember, like we always talk about this Gartner study. So when the Gartner did the study to identify what percentage of the data that has been actually used by the organization, uh, and it's very little, right? You know, I think remember we talked about like it's mm-hmm. less than five percent. I assume. So then yes. we take that yeah. data and we flip the coin and say, what is the percent of the data that is actually not being used, which essentially a part of that is dark data. So dark data is, uh-huh. and a lot of people think dark data in different ways. So first is data that's been produced but not used. Uh, so it's either sitting in some type of data warehouse or sitting in some somebody's computer. Like I remember in our good old days, we were looking for this particular financial data. And it mm-hmm. happened to be sitting in someone's computer. So, uh, <laughs> and we were, we were like, okay, what, how do we get this data back in the data warehouse? We can because it was sitting in that person's computer. Uh, so that's what dark data is. Dark data essentially okay. is just like the dark matter. You know, like, I don't know how much you follow the space and the universe. Oh, I do. <laughs> You're nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> like me. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. On. So yeah. So just like the, <laughs> you know, the dark matter. This is what the dark data is. Like nobody knows where the data is or nobody knows where the data is hiding. Nobody knows what data includes. Uh, nobody is touching the data and using it. So that's what we call dark data. Hmm. Interesting. It's a uh, kind of Star Wars-esque. Kind of cool. So, okay, next one. This is this is a good one. This sounds like... Uh, Somebody who is an analytics professional who wrote the book on how to cheat Vegas, you know, um, in blackjack, but double down. Double down. I hear that so awesome, so freaking awesome times that sometimes it just yeah. makes me think like, hmm, that is definitely a cliche term. Uh, double down. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't really know. I'm sorry about that one. That That's just a... <laughs> we that's have to double down terrible. our numbers this quarter. <laughs> How many times I mean, have you heard that? I mean, come on, it, it's 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 such a stupid term. I'm I'm sorry, but it's just it doesn't work for me because when somebody comes to me and says, "Let's double down," my thought on that is, "Double down in on what?" So you, you're effectively telling me that what we have to do is double down. Okay, what does that mean? Are you double downing on revenue? Well, are you double downing on conversion rate what do you what does it mean it's such a such a broad terrible term to where people feel like they can get away with just saying it, it means nothing it, it is yes especially you know? and that's very cliche for marketing i would say uh, even though it's kind of uh, 
tease into the data. So double yeah. down to me is, you know, how can we do more of this, uh, given that we have more exactly. of Y. Yeah. So you know, how can we do more of X with what we got in Y and produce Z results? So that kind of a thought process, right? It's so a- it's, it's very, uh, centric around how can we double our production that could be one area i can think of how can we double our revenue uh yeah i i remember an old story that i told you before and and the quick version of that story was i was told at an old company to double down on the highest performing channels that produce the highest conversion rate and they said we're going to take money away from the lowest performing channels based on roi and we're going to put it towards the highest. We're going to double down on the highest ones. And what ended Just up like happening? <laughs> well, they didn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what ended up happening is they realized that that lower converting channel was essential to the buyer's journey as far as, as far as building brand awareness and the discover process. And it basically killed our entire conversion. Because of this terrible term, double down, it must have been something to where I'm sitting there in the room and somebody says double down and I'm sitting there thinking, you got to be kidding me. They just <laughs> said double well, down. Well, because it, at the end, it doesn't mean anything, right? Double, yeah, It, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty uh, broad term, like, you know, doubling down on things. And, and, and practically speaking, in all the different organizations that I personally worked, Double down does not really work. <laughs> it does not. I, I, I'm I'm going to asterisk this one and say this is the most terrible term. Okay, ever. there it is. For analytics, so from double all down. Of list I, I'm calling have, this one. It, <laughs> this down. has been crowned as the terriblest term <laughs> <laughs> Because all it does is get you in trouble. It forces you to do something that you don't want to yeah. do because you feel like you know, yeah, you were in Vegas and maybe you had a few too many free drinks, so you decided to double down. Well, it's okay because you're expected to lose that money. Not in business. I don't just expect to lose a million dollars. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not really cool. All right, so let's get to the next one. Um, the 80-20 rule. Oh, wow. Okay, so th- this is this this one for me is all about assumptions mm-hmm. with 80-20. You know, it's basically saying, you know, 20% of the – you know, 20% of the things you're doing are driving results, 80% of yeah. the revenue. Yeah, of the revenue results and so on. You know, this, this for me is, is a cop out mm-hmm. term. You know, I, I've used this before in, in kind of my conversations with management just to really, I, I, I shouldn't have used it. I, I kind of slapped my own hand here, but it's one of those things where you kind of use it just to say it's an 80 20 and you don't really want to have to go into an explanation. But I think a lot of people use it as a default. Yeah. Because they don't want to really explain the detail. They just say, no, 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 80, 20. All we're going to do is look at the top 20% of performing channels, performing attributes and say, this is exactly what's driving 80% yeah. of revenue. That's bad. It as is. It's actually the origination. I was doing some research on this. The origination of the 80, 20 rule, which basically came from the Pareto principle, which, yeah, so that's uh, okay. where the origination is. And basically what that Pareto principle states is, for many events, roughly 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. Uh, so that's how, you know, that, that cause and effect thing, you know, coming to picture. So not all causes produces an effect, right? There is a 20% of the causes that yep. produce 80% of the effect. So that's what the thought process is. But I completely agree with you. Uh, the first time that this was actually incorporated into management and marketing and business, 
was uh, close to uh, by University of Lausanne in 1896. So that's a very interesting oh. thing from an observation perspective. And there have been a lot of uh, proven cases, which if think about it, like, let's look at the American economy, right? The 20% of the American workforce, or not maybe not 20%, maybe 10%, that actually drives 80% of the economy, right? So it, and yep. you take that, apply to your personal life, like 20% of the action that you take drive 80% of the results. So there, there is some correlation, but what's gimmicky mm-hmm. about this 80-20 rule, to be honest, is it's not really 80-20. You know, it's just it's no. a placeholder for a lot of different things. Like it could be ten ninety, it could be seventy thirty, it could be five ninety five. There could be a lot of different percentages. So what you're saying is basically the eighty twenty rule is sort of gimmicky uh, because it's it not is. necessarily tied to the reality and practicality. It's it's a it's a way for you to explain something without having to actually dig in and talk right. about it or spend time on it. It's almost like a like I said a cop out. You're saying. You know, you go to management and you say, well, you know, we're going to use the 80-20 rule in this one. And they get it. And they say, okay, yeah. good. And it's your default. It you know, is. Yeah, it's out, kind so. of like you were trying to make uh, cut corners. You don't necessarily have all <laughs> yeah. the data uh, and all the insights very well thought through. You're not looking into details and then you're just making, yep. you know, a general perception about it, which, yeah, not, not cool. Not cool. Okay, so these last two, these are kind of funny. Um <laughs> It, this next one here is more along the lines of, of of trying to CYA because you want people to know that you're using data rather than just kind of making it up out of thin air. But the term is data-driven decision. <laughs> the best for the last. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like, okay, well, what other kind of decision would you be making if it's not a data-driven decision? Are you just... Yeah, and it's interesting to say that because especially if you live in the organization, we start talking about, you know, kind of in the, uh, with the funnel flow, right? We started with the data being the new oil and we talked about, uh, analysis paralysis, dark data. So ultimately, the decisions today in most organizations, as to say, you know, has been driven by data. Uh, I don't think yeah. people very rarely it's going to happen that people are going to make anecdotal decisions. I don't. I don't think that doesn't happen. That still happens. A lot of people think because they like a particular person or they like what they're doing. Uh, you know, the like has a lot of value today. So it doesn't matter what does, they do. Yeah. People are still going to not look at the data, but they're just going to follow their likeness to take a decision. So this kind of. Uh, is takes that approach where it's going to say no make your decision based on data but for people like us who are daily involved in business and you know analytics and digital pieces we all know that how data is important uh, i think the uh the entire world is getting more and more data centric so then it yes. becomes pretty cliche terms if someone comes to you and say make data driven decisions <laughs> Which is pretty yeah. obvious that, you know, with the economy that we live in and uh, the structure that we are a part of, we are definitely going to use data to make decisions. And I think that goes into actually the last term of the day is always be testing. So th- th- there's a good and a bad to that. So the good, the good to that is, yes, you need to continually test because things change, seasonality, buying patterns macroeconomy, microeconomy, all these different things affect, 
you know, your, your numbers and you should always be testing to make sure that, you know, you're effectively doing the, the right thing and not just doing the same thing that you've been doing, quote unquote, that has worked. But the bad part of that is you could overtest. You know, it's almost like the analysis paralysis to where some people just get into this mode of always testing and they never actually do the work. They just become test monkeys. You know what I mean? They, they're, 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 there are some people within a business who all they want to do is just test and test and test. And, all yeah, and that sometimes, uh, you know, again, leads to something uh, that is not worthwhile. Because if you have data that's telling you a good story and you can use that story to draw your conclusion and essentially make data-driven decision, you don't have to always be testing. Uh, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to apply the laws of that you still have to segment and test it. As long as you know that you have done your homework, you have done the research, you have enough information yep. to make a decision, there is no need to test further. And, and exactly, <laughs> this leads to the analysis paralysis, which is what always be testing methodology is. And it doesn't matter if you're testing between two different data segments. It doesn't matter if you're testing between two different creative segments or two dif- different data models. If one model is better, yeah. just go with that. Uh, in most cases, if it's better than the other. Yeah, double down, man. Double you down, double down. Double down on that one. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I do have a couple, couple of them uh, before we finish, uh, at least a couple sure. more that I want to point, which is very interesting. So Tim O'Reilly yeah. in his uh, What is Web 2.0? Uh, I believe that's a book. He coined the term data as the next Intel Inside, which is pretty interesting. You know, this uh, this Intel Inside yeah. ad that always we are used to seeing, what he said that data is actually the next Intel Inside, which kind of teeds into the next one, um, which is the rest is built on top, which is coined by Daniel Keyes Moran. So he, these mm. both of these are tied together, right? Because if data is inside, then everything is built on top of the data, the infrastructure, the information, uh, the technology, everything is built on top of data. Like your cell phone, a simple example, smartphones, it's primarily running on data that's going between all the different capacitor transistors and essentially providing all the information yep. that you need uh, to work without worrying about what's actually driving force behind it, which is the data. Good one. Great. So Very this cool. is kind of a short one, but we want to have some fun with this... Uh, analytics and big data cliche terms. So hopefully our listeners enjoy this short and sweet podcast from us and, you know, leave us feedback where, yeah. again, you know where to find us, so datacrackle.com or jeremyaroberts.com. Uh, leave us feedback, provide us yep. comment. We are always looking for it. And thank you so much to our listeners for following us. Uh, you look at our show notes on the websites. All right. And I'll see you guys in there. Thank Thanks, you. Man.